from John 6. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. And Jesus went up on the, on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. And lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get even a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number, and Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his, his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. May God bless the reading and hearing of his gospel. There's an old story, you probably have heard it before, of a new minister in town who was trying to get to know the people of his congregation. And he went one morning to a young family's home and he knocked on the door and a five-year-old boy came and answered the door and told the minister that his mom would be out to the living room shortly. And the minister said to the young Little guy just trying to make some conversation. Well, what do you want to be when you grow up? A little boy sat and thought for a minute. And he said, I think I want to be possible. And the minister looked at him. And it was, you know, he expected an astronaut or a police officer or a doctor or a teacher or something like that. And, and he said, well, what do you mean by that? And, the little boy said, well, just about every day, my mom tells me I'm impossible. <laughs> you know, there are many things about our world and sometimes even in our own lives that feel somewhat impossible. Sometimes it's easy to get stuck in the moment. I'll be honest, just... I don't have this in my notes, but I remember last week seeing the amount of, I'll call it stuff instead of junk, which is what I was calling it last week. How in the world are we going to move this from where we are right now to where we're going? And even, even those, those, those small moments, and, and, and obviously, you know, you get enough folk who are willing to help you, you can get a lot, a lot moved. But there are other more more permanent elements of our life that at times can feel pretty impossible. Maybe a relationship, maybe a health condition, 
maybe a need that is emotional or financial or even spiritual at times can give us a sense of discouragement and wondering if whatever it is that we are wanting to change or occur in our lives is is even a real possibility. In the text this morning, Philip encountered a moment that had to seem impossible. And in fact, there's this really interesting exchange between Philip and Jesus. When Jesus and, and, and the author of John's gospel almost parenthetically says, and Jesus knew what he was going to do, but he asked Philip, hey, where, where are we going to get where are we going to get bread to feed all these people? Philip says, in essence, even if I had a, a whole lot of money, look how many are here. It's it's the feast of Passover, so extra, extra people are around already as they prepare to, to go to Jerusalem and celebrate the feast. He says, there, there's not enough. We, we don't have enough. It would be impossible for us to feed these people. One of the things that Philip learned that day, and that hopefully we remember from this great passage of Scripture, is that when Jesus is the one making the request. Jesus is also the one who provides the resources and power to get the job done. This is a a, a great, great story, one of my favorite in the Gospels. And probably when when this slide came up, you already knew, right? Oh, five loves, two fish. John probably included it in his gospel, right? A, we, 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 can, we can see where we're, where we're headed today, but what a great account of Jesus taking this little boy's meal and multiplying it to feed probably well over 5,000 people. John said there were 5,000 men who sat down, and probably most of them had with them their family. So we don't really know how many he fed, but enough to convince the folk who were there, that Jesus was the one who had been sent. The story, though, begins with that great question, where can we buy enough food for all these people? I think there are probably three things we should note about that question that are especially significant for us. The first is that it is Christ who asks the question. Jesus, of course, being Jesus, knew the answer already. He knew what he was going to do, but he is always nudging us, usually through the still, small voice of the Spirit, oftentimes through other people as they speak into our life and have influence on us, sometimes through the events of our lives or the circumstances of our lives. Jesus is asking us questions about our faith, about our ability to trust in him, even when things seem impossible. And sometimes God wants us to wrestle for some time with what's going on in the world around us or in our lives, as the question in one form or another is asked, from where, as this translation says, from where shall we buy bread? From, from where shall the resources come? How is God going to meet this need. Jesus is also showing us that most often God uses people. God uses people. You know, Jesus could have, I mean, as a member of the Trinity and 
God is the one who spoke the world into existence, Jesus could have just said, you know, hey, uh, everyone gets bread and fish, and poof, right? Could have, but that's not the way God typically works, and even in the ministry of Jesus, it is usually through pretty common elements of life. Think of the story of Jesus using mud. Remember that story? Spitting in the, in the dirt, creating mud, and putting it over the man's eyes. Literally, the dirt of the earth to bring healing. And then in this story, a little boy's lunchable, right? Huh? In order to feed so many folk. Oftentimes, even the work of God does not get done with the snap of a finger. Because God is not one who just throws his power around. Instead, God fills his people with the ability and power to allow him to work through them to solve the needs and the problems of the world as Jesus asks in the face of such a large crowd, where shall we buy bread for all of these people? In allowing us the opportunity to work in partnership with him, there is a, a dignity that God provides his creation that he wouldn't have to provide and sometimes one that we overlook. Sometimes all of us can fall into a less than glorious outlook on the various tasks of our daily lives. But think of it, think of it, that we are called, yes, to be uh, parents or spouses or grandmothers or sisters or brothers or uh, uh, whatever your line of work may be. But, but in, that, in those callings and in those identities, that we are also called to partner with God himself in his work in the world. That we are fellow workers with God in bringing the reality of the kingdom to our sphere of influence. As we view our world, there are certainly portions of it where the question isn't necessarily identical to Jesus, from where shall we buy bread? But there is, there are elements that can seem pretty impossible, pretty dire, pretty hopeless. I wonder if within those portions of our world or even our lives that Jesus is asking us a similar question this day. Those impossible portions of our experience that God is asking us not to become discouraged by, but instead see as an opportunity for us to work in concert with God to bring about change. There would be many ways, many, I'm, I'm just going to list three here very quickly. It's not exhaustive, but it may be worth considering. I've listed this one a moral turnaround. I think God is asking us as his people, as followers of Christ, to be partners with him in turning the world around morally. You know, that struggle to do right and, and act right has really been with humanity since 
the very beginning. And we've usually not done real well. <laughs> Coupled with that, though, is what we might call almost a resignation to our own immorality. And, and sometimes it can be easy for us to kind of give, our, give ourselves a pass. And, and of course, as we remembered earlier this morning, we are dependent on the grace of God to save us and the grace of God to continue to draw us into to being his disciples. But a moral turnaround, if we're waiting on the, on, on the outside world, those who do not know Christ to act right, to be moral, we will be disappointed. The call to act as people of God are, is given to people of God. So maybe, maybe as we look at our world, the impossibility of, of all that seems so off, maybe that's just kind of a distraction. And instead, what God is asking us to do is look at our own lives. Look at those elements of our own lives where the Lord is drawing us closer to walk like Jesus and to do just that. Second area of need where God may be giving us an opportunity to, to partner with him has to do with fulfilling this great commission. Right? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the very ends of the earth. And I'm really not saying this just because Jennifer is here. It really is in my, in, in my note. But that's one of the reasons that we participate as a body of churches, right? Because we believe that we can accomplish more together than we can just by ourselves. Yes, we, we here at Willard Avenue do have a specific call that God is asking us to engage in faithfully, to be the church in this place. And it is vital that we do that. But there is beyond us, beyond us, an opportunity to, part, to be part of a much broader work of God. A work of God throughout the central region and throughout the United States and the other side of the world. Each, though, are called to do our specific part. I think of this little boy and his his lunch. And, and sometimes I think we have a tendency to say, ah, you know, uh, the, you know, one great hour of, of uh, one great hour of sharing offering or the world mission offering. I mean, I, I could give a little, but is it, is it really that much? And the, the little boy could have said the same thing, couldn't he? He could have said, as, as Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, kind of volunteered this kid to give his lunch uh, to Jesus, he could have said, well, I, I mean, it's just, it's just barely enough for me. Yeah, th this, is, this is the lunch that, that my mom or dad packed for, for me. But he gave what he could in order for Jesus to use it. And, and obviously, I think the application is, is clear. That as we have opportunity to participate, and not just in offering, maybe God is calling us to participate in ways that we never had thought about in regard to sharing the gospel, both in, well, if we want to change it a little bit, in Wyandotte County and Kansas City, Kansas, or Kansas, or the United States, or to the very ends of the earth. The way that that occurs is usually, is usually as simple as the little boy 
in this story where we just give of ourselves faithfully and let Jesus use what we've given. And then lastly, I, I do think that, that uh, another element is, is one that is, is a direct correlation to this story. Jesus saw folk who were hungry. He saw what looked like a, a pretty impossible situation. Yet, with what was given and his power and his uh, ability to multiply, fed folk who were literally there hungry. You know, eating is a, an important and obviously a, a basic human right. And feeding the hungry was part of Christ's mission and is part of ours too. Sometimes as we look at statistics, even in our own county, in our own country, it is amazing how many folk do not have enough to eat. Just as it did when he saw the 5,000, Jesus' heart remains with the hungry. Those who are physically hungry as well as those who are spiritually hungry. And our hearts should too. And our efforts and our creativity to do as we can to partner with others. We think of what we, what we do with, uh, with Bethel Neighborhood Center and other folk who, who uh, have uh, specific ministries devoted to doing just that. Even with our friendliness fund, which we'll take up at the end of our service this morning. To be able to meet needs as they are presented to us. You know, Christ never asks the impossible of us unless he gives us the power to accomplish what he is asking us to do. Where can we buy enough food to feed all these people, Jesus said to his disciples? What an impossible question to answer based on our own strength, our own ability to solve problems. But if Jesus is our partner, with him, all things are possible. Christ is counting on you and me to help bring the whole world to a new day. To partner with him, even in the impossible. May we do our part. Oh Lord, we thank you for this, your word. We thank you for the witness of the little boy who was willing to give. As we look at elements of our lives, some of them societal, some of them very personal to us, may we be encouraged this day that nothing is impossible with you. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.